0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of FireDev, a fireside chat with people in the industry. Today, my guest is Sandra Kublik. Sandra, how are you doing?
1: Hello there. Um, Thank you so much for having me here. I'm doing great, although it's a very grumpy weather that I'm in today. (laughs) Um, Where are you based again? I am based out of Warsaw, Poland, um, but I actually have two homes uh, right now, so I am... flying between Warsaw and Sydney and spend roughly six months here and there every year.
0: Okay. Do, do you, uh, are you Polish initially? Is yes. That what you're, okay. Do you prefer Poland or do you prefer, you know, Australia if you had to choose?
1: Oh yeah. It's a, it's a tricky choice to make. Like obviously I love my country. I have uh, most of my friends and family here but i also love uh the weather in sydney and i would say the quality of life is a little bit higher um people are less stressed for sure and so yeah i would say for long-term lifestyle sydney is the one to go
0: okay uh how long have you been over in australia for and what made you you know go over to that part of the world so
1: i am always going there for like three months because i am on tourist visa usually which is mm. uh this is like the maximum time i can spend there every time and in between i am usually in emirates or asia because it's quite a <laughs> quite a long flight from Poland mm, yes. to australia so i usually divide it and it's actually my boyfriend he has family and friends there he comes from sydney so we gravitate there uh, just to catch up with friends and family
0: okay and you know obviously there might be people that are listening that have careers they're trying to grow but then they are in that situation where they have a relationship that's not again you know just having a relationship where both people are in the same country but in different cities is difficult that's two three hours away that can be you know stressful on the relationship but then to have someone in a different country and that far away where you can't you know it's not like UK and France where you think okay I'm gonna pop over on the on a weekend it is a lot you I guess you have to think about it uh you know a lot more to go over to Australia if you're not there see your boyfriend and you know vice versa how did you guys meet and like how has that you know been whilst trying you know again we'll cover everything that you're doing you know, right now, you know, very soon, but like everything that you're doing within your career, how have you, you know, been managing that?
1: Yeah, so actually, so we uh, live together in Warsaw right now in Poland and we met here, he was traveling um, and he happened to be in Warsaw at the, like a networking event. He is an entrepreneur in the tech space. So we um, we just happened to be at similar events, uh, at, at the same event and uh, we met there. And we've been living together ever since. So we are going together to Sydney and then back to Warsaw every time. So fortunately, I don't have to deal with the long distance uh, anxiety and kind of logistic lo- logistical struggles. I can imagine it must be really, really challenging, especially when you have uh, such a such a uh, sort of um, time zone difference as well, because you, you basically have a different rhythm every day.
0: Oh, yeah, you do. It is basically a lot of... You no, know, obviously from poland or you know our part more our part of the world and australia it is like two different days it's not like an hour or two you know yeah. ahead or behind where you know it's evening for both it's morning for both it's manageable It it is a matter of one sleeping one's not if you're following the country's you know sleep pattern
1: yeah yeah that's true so we we do catch up with uh, friends and family from sydney while we are here in Warsaw, but obviously it's quite limited, and vice versa when we are there, um our contact with your base folks is yeah. fairly limited
0: okay, fair enough, so you're yeah, like going into you know some of the things that you're doing, you know what made me reach out to you and you know ask for you to come onto the podcast. Is you know the stuff that you're doing in, in AI, you know, because you wrote the a book on AI, you know, GPT free via Pack Publishing as well. So do you want to you know talk a little bit about that? How you got into the AI space? Why? And you know, the book itself as well.
1: Yeah, thanks for thanks for finding me first of all and <laughs> bringing me here. Stuck to be here. So, um, my AI adventure is white unorthodox i would say i um have um university background in humanities and social sciences Uh, i focused on philosophy while i was a student but uh, during that time i really loved the the subject itself i was a huge philosophy nerd uh, and i think I'm, i'm still until today quite in love with it um But I did feel like when I was taking the lectures, participating in discussions uh, with my study group, it felt very abstract and sort of detached from the reality that we live in. And I had this kind of longing for being in touch with something that has more impact on the reality and has to do with um, more relevant matters. Tech was a very easy choice for me. I always gravitated towards the latest hardware gadgets, uh, <laughs> the newest apps to test. Um, I was always really um, indulging in in the tech space. And I had friends that were developers and entrepreneurs uh, having tech businesses. So I think it was pretty organic for me to kind of start uh, working with them slowly and um, kind of build my way and and my network into co-founding my own incubator for startups that's actually how my ai adventure started i always knew that uh, artificial intelligence is the I mean the ultimate tech of our century, not to be to, too, not not to use too big words, but um, I honestly think this is going to be huge game changer, just like uh, the introduction of electricity was uh, back in the days. And so I always wanted to get into AI, and I was just uh, I just had to choose which angle I'm gonna go from, and um, I really enjoy learning in the community setting i feel like ai especially now but even back then when i was joining it um is becoming more and more accessible to folks from variety of backgrounds and so there's this big hunger for knowledge and for learning for upgrading your skills and understanding of the foundational concepts uh within the space um I basically um, had a co-founder. We wanted to create um, this AI community that will learn from one another for professionals of all kinds. We started hosting meetups that turned into hackathons that now um, kind of uh, blossomed into this huge, uh, over 60,000 worldwide (laughs) AI hackers community uh, called LabLab AI. So that was kind of my beginning. So I kind of entered through the community space, but then I felt like I want to get to the gist of it, and I want to really advance my fundamental understanding of AI. Not only um, kind of uh, move swiftly among folks that are building something, um, and I started a YouTube channel of all things. <laughs> I think it was. I think it was because my. Now, friend. But before that, it was just a YouTuber I was following, uh, Backste Future. He was one of the first YouTubers talking about um, language models, and especially once OpenAI started releasing GPT two, GPT three, he was one of the first folks to kind of discuss it. And he made a video about getting access to GPT three by making a video about different demos people make with gpt3 so i was like hmm okay if he has done it maybe i can do it as well so i set up a youtube channel and my first video is literally that like my my favorite demos i've seen people make on hackathons and uh posting on twitter uh using gpt3 and that actually did make me get access (laughs) to the beta version of gpt3 and that's kind of how uh how my adventure started and then Having access to it, I was able to explore it uh, much more. And then also uh, the great thing about putting stuff out there online is that you get instant feedback and you advance your understanding, um, whether you like it or or not, because you get feedback from folks that are interested in this space. Uh, They're sharing their thoughts, their experiences with you, and you have more and more things to think about and talk about. And that's kind of how the ball goes rolling for me. Um, through my channel, my future co-author Shabam Sabo of, of the GPT-3 book reached out to me and said that, Hey, I am working on this GPT-3 report for this publisher. And, um, you seem to know a lot when it comes to the implementations and know a lot of people that are implementing it. They want to, uh, get on board. And I was like, sure. So <laughs> I, um. Started working with him on this report, and then the publisher actually reached out and and was like, uh, you know what, this this seems to be like a bigger topic. This technology seems to be like a fundamental shift, and people are really hungry hungry for knowledge. So we are interested in uh, giving me a book contract. So we're like, you know, <laughs> taken taken by the surprise, to be honest. Uh, and uh, and it was uh, an extremely interesting. Adventure for me. We spent over a year working on the book together. Shabam has a um, technical background. He used to be a data scientist. Now he's a product manager at one of the hardware com- companies, TensorTorrent, that is developing hardware dedicated for large language models. So he uh, was really good at diving into the kind of technicalities of the API and um, um bringing out tips on how to build stuff most efficiently and not to make kind of rookie mistakes and i focused on reaching out to the community and to folks that already had some sort of products uh deployed uh launched um and were already uh kind of the pioneers in this LLM revolution uh, with different types of use cases. And we spoke to a lot of start We spoke to enterprises. At the time, Microsoft um, has initially invested in OpenAI, but hasn't had its own uh, OpenAI Azure service. So we were kind of talking about that. We were talking to GitHub Copilot folks. It was really an incredible opportunity to just advance my knowledge and an understanding of the kind of a bigger picture, I would say, um, of what was happening with GPT three and then future models, and then um, I guess through YouTube channel and the book as well, uh, Jay Alamar, my colleague at Cohere, who is a famous uh, blogger in the space, um, I I literally like quoted his blog post on the architecture of um, transformer, which is the foundational architecture uh, of neural nets neural nets behind gpt um he reached out to me and he was like "Uh, i'm working for this company cohere i knew cohere as well uh before and he invited me to kind of come on board and work together as a team and i was just like you know um just super thrilled (laughs) to be able to work directly in the field not only in my free time but actually hands-on uh and so i've been doing that ever since
0: okay i mean there's a you know a lot to unpack there so first of all we'll, we'll, you know we'll start with the book and actually that journey of you know you doing the youtube channel and then from that you know getting a connection and you know doing the book exactly you know remind me of the journey that i had writing my first book which was nothing to do with ai it was a games programming book using the cocos 2dx game engine and what ended up happening was i had been using that engine plus the precursor to that one which was cocos to the iphone using objective c for a number of years i mean i the resources were lacking one it was made by a chinese company so a lot of the resources were in chinese and even then it was out of date and definitely wasn't much in english that was very good and they had been mainly made by people that were in china so like the like there was a lot of instructions that were even missing or they were hard to follow so mm. i was basically trying to figure out, you know, how to get this engine to work and actually, you know, really leverage it. Even though it was very, and the thing was, it was very popular and a lot of games were using it, but it was being used by more of the bigger companies, even though it was open source and free, simply because it was a little difficult to get around and you needed a bit of technical know-how and experimentation to get things started. So what I ended up doing was recording tutorials, set of tutorials, you know, guides, etc., on how to set it up, how to leverage the different features, uh, partly just because I wanted an easy reference for myself to you know go back and because you know some of the things were a bit difficult to initially get your head around, and I thought in case I forget, I don't want to go through the pain of figuring it out again, so I just documented it, put it on YouTube, and I thought you know it'd be nice for some other people they might really like it. That started picking off, and I remember I think I oh, was three or four maybe even two videos into it and someone from the company that makes that, that manages the engine Chukong, they reached out and they, they messaged on the, on one of the videos say, we really like it. You know, basically, you know, let's talk. And then from that, they, you know, said they, they got free books that they want to do. Do any of these interest you, you know, I picked one of them and I remember it was exam time in my final year of uni as well. But I was like, you know, never wrote a book, let's go for it. Uh, uh, And, you know, they're willing to you know take a chance on me as well again and that was packed as well i was pack publishing so you know I, I worked with them on you know four books now but yeah that's how I got my start you know very similar so it's a very similar you know journey and you know that really does you know resonate with me as well I feel like pack does that you know a lot reach out to people that are doing some stuff online especially if they're with topics that align with their you know books that they want to publish because i've heard similar stories from a few other people but yeah like going back to your book so it's a book on chat gpt which version of chat gpt and what would somebody you know take away from reading that book like who's it for
1: yeah okay just to just to kind of um follow up on what you've mentioned i think uh i think Publishers are doing an amazing job in kind of fishing out the folks that uh, have the potential. And it's really underestimated how um, a collaboration like this can change your career and your scope of understanding kind of impact your life. So it's really if any one of you is thinking about uh, writing something or or throwing something out there into the online space, um, don't think about it. Just do it. It's really uh, worth the stress and the anxiety that comes along with it. Um, But yeah, so GPT-3, so to put things in perspective, ChatGPT is a consumer product, chatbot product um, that OpenAI has released that is based on top of, built on top of um, big foundation model called GPT uh, with the the letters come from the architecture, generative pre-trained transformer, Um, And this model, GPT, has different versions. And I'm pretty sure OpenAI is still working on on the future versions of it. Um, It's a huge text generation model that is extremely savvy at um, different types of task, uh, language-based tasks and manipulations when it comes to the convention, when it comes to generating new text, summarizing the text that you give it, these these models are extremely savvy when it comes to general manipulation of text. Mm, so, Chat GPT is currently, I, I believe, you can choose uh, whether you're using GPT four or whether you use GPT three point five. The reason these two versions are available is because GPT um, four is better but slower. <laughs> It's a bit clunky when it comes to the production applications. And so if you're doing, if you're building something at scale, most of the folks that are using OpenAI API are going for GPT 3.5. And so my book um, talks about GPT 3 version, Um, but it doesn't talk about the chatbot as a consumer product. It talks about the model. So um, that kind of... um, endpoints behind the API the the models that you have access to to be able to build chatbots and other types of applications on top of it um so it's kind of um kind of a one level higher in terms of abstraction <laughs> but uh but yeah it's uh it's still a very relevant model it's quite surprising i was worried honestly when chat when ChatGPT came out and then gpt4 came out that um it's going to kind of Uh, become less relevant with more and more um, model capabilities with newer and newer versions. But the interesting thing is that even two years after this book was launched, um, GPT 3.5 Turbo um, at the moment is kind of the go-to, the most common model that people use in production just because it's good enough for most of the tasks that you want to give it to, but it's also cheaper and faster. Um, uh, in comparison to the bigger version of it, yeah, so so the book is essentially I would honestly say that the book is for anyone that wants to get a preliminary understanding of GPT as a kind of family of of models as a as a new type of technology and um how to build with it, whether you are a developer, whether you are a product manager, business leader. Um, I've had friends that are CEOs of medical startups reach out to me and being like, hey, your book is amazing, I'm so stuck for you and I'm gonna use some stuff from there in my newest version of the product. So honestly, it like you really don't have to have a tech background in order to benefit from it. Uh, as I mentioned, I collaborated with it, on it with my friend who has a technical background Who covered the kind of foundational building blocks of what to do when you want to deploy your first application with GPT-3. But my contribution was reaching out to folks that have already built something with it, learned the lessons the hard way, uh, talk about what it's like having it in production and at scale, um, and kind of um, being able to relate to them and also to look for more types of use cases to brainstorm a little bit outside of the most common use case which is just a a chatbot uh, use case and uh, yeah so I would say it's it's like a good introductory book for folks that are thinking about using LLMs in production uh, setup and whether you're a technical folk or business folk or product folk or uh, whatnot, or, or just are interested in this technology as a, as a cultural ph- phenomenon, let's say, I would say this, is, uh, it, this book will help you get started and um, give you a good kind of launchpad for your further research and investigation into it.
0: So is it fair enough to summarize the book as a guide slash book for the gpt api or not quite
1: yes so it's fair to characterize this book as a introductory guide to opening api
0: okay so the you know the api so okay so uh, just confirm it's used in the gpt three model not 3.5 in the book so the book talks about gpt3
1: um honestly gpt 3.5 is just a Another version of GPT 3 I guess, um, which uh, which wasn't out there when we were talking about it. When we were talking about it, when we were writing the book, the GPT three only was out there. Mm-hmm. But um, the differences are n- not that substantial. I mean, if you want to understand the technology as a, if you want to grasp the concept um, and start to understand its potential, you can. Go ahead and go ahead and use this book, and then while you are um, interacting with the model, where we encourage you to do that all the time. Honestly, that's one of the best ways to learn something is to to interact with it and and kind of um, try to build something with it, even if you are going to fail. Um, so once you're going to interact with the later versions of the model, like GPT 3.5 or GPT 4. You're going to realize that they are more kind of nimble. They are more savvy with time, and it can be extrapolated to future models as well. So once GPT point five is going to come out, GPT five is going to come out. You will still have this foundational understanding of what this model is capable of doing, and only will have to catch up on the latest capabilities
0: okay so you know if you learn whatever version 3 or 3.5 for whichever one it is, the core fundamentals of you know like prompt engineering how to you know structure the prompts you know how you know the capabilities the limitations you'll be able to carry over and then just update the knowledge with a bit of i guess experimentation or maybe reading and you know a book like yours on a newer version or maybe some youtube video so it it's less important about the version and more important that you actually, you know, get to grips with it and just, you know, start using it. So you mentioned that, you know, obviously, you know, for, again, I've used you know, chat GPT a lot. I use it and and GPT, the API uh, as well. So I'm pretty well versed in when I would use 3.5 or 4. For the people that are listening, you said that 4 is more capable, but it's slower. But obviously, you know, there's other... You know nuances beyond that. What scenarios and use cases would you recommend to let, let's talk about developers first to use something like GPT three, which again I'm including three point five. And when would you say okay, this is when you should use four? And then also for an end user using Chat GPT, when should they opt for three point five? Again, obviously four right now is still only in the pay tier, but let's assume they have the pay tier or they're thinking about it. When would they benefit from using ChatGPT for?
1: Yeah, so um so the rule of thumb here is whatever model that is the cheapest and fastest for your use case works best, you can keep, keep to that one. If it turns out while you're experimenting, um, giving it example prompts and it's not performing to your satisfaction that you need uh, kind of higher level cognitive capabilities, then you will need to, then then you want to update to GPT-4 and see how that one works. Honestly, it's a lot about experimenting with your use case, using different types of models, not only open AI models, but also other models like Cohere and open source models um, and then kind of, kind of benchmarking it uh, using your own evaluation criteria when it comes to the quality of the output, but also the speed and the price. Because um, if you're a individual consumer user of ChatGPT, um, and you're using it, you know, throughout your day, you're not flooding it with a lot of questions. You will probably be super happy with um, ChatGPT using GPT four. Um, because the speed is not an issue here. Even if you have to wait a little bit longer, like two, three seconds longer for the output um, for for its response, it's not going to be an issue for you, but the quality is more of an uh, important factor for you. But if you have a huge, robust system interacting with thousands of users um, that um, have some... uh, have some inputs uh, and communicate with the API all the time, then the speed of interaction is really going to matter. So you will not want to have um, a chatbot available on your website, for example, that can, that is hooked up to your docs. Um, Be so slow, right? You will want it to be super fast with retrieving the information and responding With the exact information that you that the user needs because you want to keep the customer because you want to keep the uh, kind of customer satisfaction in check and because you have it at scale and also cost matter like uh, the the amount of money i I don't honestly track the numbers anymore because it's kind of a competition (laughs) at this point but uh, but i know that the uh, cost per api call between three and four is, um, has a significant difference there. Does, so, yeah. yeah. So, so it all depends on kind of the scale of, of the application that you have. Um, and also the, and also a little bit of, uh, testing like for when you want to choose the text generation model for your use case, you will have to go out and test different types of available available models out there. First of all, because you want to get the best uh, kind of um, performers for your buck. But the second thing is also that you want to have alternatives. If for some reason one system is down, you want to be able to quickly hook up to another one. Uh, not to lose kind of an entire operation that's based off of one ATI um, that has some sort of maintenance break or whatever. So you want to be you you want to be able to have alternatives. And then also, you know, we are in this uh, famously called AI race where companies come up with updates um, on a regular basis. Every single month, there are some new updates coming uh, and new players also coming to the market and so all of that drives the prices um, down and um, drives the model performance up and you want to be really up to speed when it comes to the best possible version out there that's suitable for your use case.
0: Okay and you know another thing that I want to you know just add to that is when you're looking at you know a model let's say 3.5 or 4 or 3 and 4 the other thing is when you're, you know, experimenting and maybe you, you the actual end, uh, you know, number of inputs to produce what you want might not be that much. Let, let's say it requires 10 or 100 inputs uh, to produce the result that you require, but the experimentation to get to the you know the desired or the guaranteed these are the inputs that I need or the prompts that I need that'll get me the desired output, whatever you're trying to generate or produce it might only be ten or a hundred, but to get there the experimentation might take ten thousand or a hundred thousand. So based on that, you might want to go with a cheaper model initially, especially if you know budget is a constraint which probably will be for a lot of businesses and entrepreneurs listening. Then you Use the cheaper model, get it down to maybe, I don't know, a thousand instead of ten thousand or a hundred thousand potential prompts or, you know, different routines. And then from that, you can maybe start experimenting on a more expensive model. So don't think that just because you know that the expensive model is probably what you want once you figure it out. Initially, you might start with the cheaper model. Plus, like you said, the cheaper model 3.5 is faster uh, uh, you know as of now so there's also the speed aspect Uh, you know if you are you know running loads of prompts and routines and you know applications and experimentations initially it might just be speed so you can you know eliminate what works and what doesn't you might you know you might want to eliminate 80 percent of what isn't really working and the quality of the output may not be as important as just pure speed so that's not something to bear in mind as well just because you go down one path it doesn't mean you can't switch it up and that goes back to your other point earlier on that you said the model is less important but the knowledge of how to leverage the i'd say the system so if you know how to use chat gpt i'm again i'm talking about chat gpt but again gpt in general if you know how to use chat gpt 3.5 for coming out like you said doesn't really change much it just enhances the capability obviously there's you know picture input as well there's you know the i'd say the quality of the output is better but how to use chat gpt is still basically the same with a few minor differences obviously you know you got different import methods like images so the, the main thing is just understanding and having a core you know fundamental knowledge base another thing that you spoke about is having you know being equipped a you know it being in a position where you can switch models very easy especially if you are customer facing and you've got like an application and you're using some sort of model in the back end <coughs> and to be able to switch that so you don't have much downtime what's your opinion on non you know open ai models out there like google Bod and anything else that is out there uh you know is there anything that you're seeing that you've tested that you think okay this could be a real contender for you know gpt uh, or not
1: yeah so it all comes down to the type of um uh, business you are and the type of product or service that you're um that you want to implement the model in for example i am currently working at cohere which is um considered a competition for open ai and anthropic in terms of uh, that text generation uh model Um, development. But in reality, (laughs) we are um, only interested in working with enterprise-grade customers, and we're only interested in developing text generation models to the extent where it is usable for enterprise-grade customer in a setup that allows it to also use our embeddings um, and to build some sort of semantic search Uh, fueled chatbots that have access to external sources of information and can perform uh, kind of higher level cognitive capabilities, uh, higher level cognitive tasks on top of the external sources of information. So um, in reality, our models, model offering is quite different from the modeling of OpenAI API or Anthropic API. So it is hard for me to advise um, in terms of kind of specific, uh, specific use cases. What, what I can tell you is that um, if you're a business, uh, lar- large scale business, uh, you want to work with companies that have experience working with enterprise customers, that have experience working with um, higher use cases that require a higher level of security that have to do with sensitive data and so forth. Um, if you are a developer, startupper, um, building something from small to medium, would I would say size business, I think, I think OpenAI slash Anthropic, depending on your use case, is still your best way to go. But then you have all these interesting open source uh, options coming out, like Mistral for example, or um, Lama models, like generally the kind of the ecosystem of open source models based off of Facebook architecture, sorry, meta architecture, um, is an interesting one to explore and might might make more sense financially. But it's really hard for me to kind of advise here on this front because I am uh, not familiar with many use cases like this. I am working with... um, with this ecosystem of models that um, that is implemented in larger enterprise contexts at the moment.
0: Okay. And, you know, obviously with, you know, all the different, you know, platforms out there, you know, what Cohere is doing, is Cohere literally doing its own LLM or is it based off of GPT and that's, it's sort of optimizing it for you know commercial and enterprise customers
1: okay so um so let's unpack gpt gpt is uh, at the moment is a trademark uh trademark term from open ai it's generative pre-trained transformer it's a model that has a certain architecture um that uh they've put together based off of openly available research coming from bigger companies like uh, Google Brain and so forth. So the the biggest, um, the most important research piece um, that OpenAI successfully implemented in GPT is um, the paper called Attention is All You Need that talks about transformer as an architecture. So um, to give a super brief context, uh, previous language models were before GPT, they were really skilled at very narrow language model tasks, and they were not—they um, were not at all good <laughs> at more general tasks. Um, Transformer pa- paper introduces architecture that um, allows—it's it's called self-attention mechanism—and it allows to capture uh, allows the model to capture relationships between words. Um, regardless of their position in a sequence. And so that allows it, allows the model for kind of efficient learning of the context of the information that you give it, um, and gives it much more kind of powerful understanding capabilities of the text. Um, that's why they are so good at text, at different text-based tasks. So this architecture was an open source architecture available out there, and what OpenAI did was take it and then build a custom version of it and then launch it as its own product. Okay, so so that's number one. Number two, um, Cohere um, has has kind of originated alongside OpenAI. It was similarly launched, but it was always a um, uh, commercial type of enterprise. So it wasn't a non-profit before. It was always a a commercial uh, enterprise. But... uh, the CEO of Cohere, Aidan Gomez, he's one of the um, co-authors of the paper that launched the transformer architecture. So he was he's one of the people that initially worked on this architecture that was later used in GPT. Um, so while OpenAI was working on GPT, other companies that, I mean, it so happened that a lot of the folks that wrote this paper, if you look at their names, like they went and set up their own kind of companies that are now training large language models. Like uh Adept is, is another example. There is there's one guy that um came from from this uh, group of researchers working on Transformer that started another large language model company. So so Aidan uh and his co-founders decided to kind of work uh simultaneously on large language models uh, themselves so they are not using the GPT kind of architecture they are using elements of it that were uh co co kind of created by Aidan and other researchers at Google brain if that makes sense
0: yes that does okay yeah. so yeah i just wanted to clear up you know cohere's position obviously you know you've done a lot of work with you know GPT and Know, for the community on that, and you know, you talk a lot about that online. So, I just wanted to make sure the audience and the, the listeners was clear, you know, what the differences are, yes, where you know everything stands, and you know, what he actually means. Obviously, you know, it, it's good to know that you know, obviously, Cohere is more like you said, enterprise, whereas as of now, Open AI is it's like anyone you know can come in. Um, but I feel like that will change, they'll probably have more and more products that are enterprise. You know based just the way as you know, Google has grown, Microsoft grown. They they have more enterprise based products, or you know certain packages or offerings You know, open i still had a bit of that, but I feel like right now it is them trying to figure things out and them just trying to take almost open what they have and see where it lands and what market and industry they can dominate. You know, with it, whether that is you know fully on the commercial side, enterprise or you know, a bit of both with how, you know, what they're trying to do. But as someone who is, you know, heav- heavily into the AI space, you know, GPT and, you know, all of the other tools and offerings available, what resources would you recommend for someone that's interested? Obviously, you know, your book, uh, you know, you've got a podcast as well. We'll, we'll hold off on talking about the podcast. So I want to, you know, have a in-depth, discussion after this little topic you know this point but you know what other resources would you recommend books you know youtube courses anything you know, to really help people understand
1: yeah that's a great question so actually there are more and more uh really good quality resources available online for free um i've seen a bunch of courses on coursera or on deep learning ai um co-developed with Andrew Eng, so I can really recommend uh, any courses that came out of there. I really love um, Fullstack um, deep learning um, course, or I'm not sure if it's a course. They've done an LLM bootcamp in the spring of uh, 2023, and it has excellent resources, lectures, um, and material for folks that really want to work hands-on with LLMs at cohere we developed um this uh, huge series called llm university where we cover both the theoretical foundations uh, and key concepts like text generation like transformers like text representation embeddings and so forth there's like an entire kind of universe of concepts associated with uh, large language models and um we also cover the practical Sandra, I just want
0: to just interject a second that yeah. university that you're talking about that cohere is you know has done um, it, it, is that only for enterprise customers or can anyone access it and is it free or paid because you know that sounds interesting let's have the theory and then obviously the technical side how can someone access it and who can access it
1: oh yeah so it's it's free currently it resides yeah. in our docs <laughs> so if you go to cohere docs you'll find llm university i'm actually going to send you the the link so I can
0: uh i'll put that in the description yes. yeah think that would be really useful for you know someone to have is that You know, video-based, just text-based, audio-based, and, you know, how much is there? Is there a lot of resources there that somebody can really get their teeth sunk into?
1: So it's it's both text and video-based. We also add textbooks, uh, sorry, Mm -hmm. notebooks, where you're able to kind of um, uh, run... A particular piece of code and see the results for yourself um, we also add example applications that you can kind of that they're open source pieces of code that you can um, modify uh, to to use in your own use cases anybody can uh, start and and learn it's completely free and for anyone with no prerequisites we kind of make it um, kind of create the narrative for somebody that is learning about it from scratch without any kind of specific background. Um, At the moment, there are, I believe, nine modules covering uh, so many different uh, aspects of uh, the LLM ecosystem and the technology, but also we we keep working on it. So it's kind of like a long-term investment for us. So you can expect probably... uh, uh, twice as more content <laughs> this year coming out, so it's going to be it's going to be a lot of good material for you to check it out. Um, it's also good to kind of follow it because we are really up to speed when it comes to the the kind of latest um, advancements in the space. So text generation is something that everybody at the moment is uh, already quite a, kind of familiar with. Prompt engineering, there's plenty of courses and kind of. Um, good guides on that but there are these new exciting things like RAG, Retrieval Augmented Generation. So being able to give your text generation model access to external data sources like web search or like internal data set or like access to different APIs like I don't know slack or gmail or whatever and it's able to kind of retrieve the information from there and generate the answer based off of this information with citations where you are able to kind of go into particular place where that information was taken from and verify whether it makes sense because a lot of the times the gpt models they're like great at generating content but then um uh, you need to verify that information. You don't have kind of like certainty when it comes to whether this information is factual and up to date. In the case of RAG, it allows you to uh, pull the latest, the most up to date information in real time, but also lets you verify um, the the information and the source it's coming from and decide whether it's relevant enough. So. So stuff like RAG, for example, as a new concept, as an enhancement for large language models is already discussed um, at length at, uh, in one of the modules of our LLM University. So I really encourage you to, to definitely check it out and kind of go along
0: with it. Oh yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I'm going to look more into. Plus, you know, once I get the link from you, that will be going in you know, this uh, week's episode as well. So everyone can you know check that out and it's great that it's free as well so you know that opens it up you know a lot more you know for a lot of people so you know now getting onto your podcast you know do you want to introduce the podcast you know what it is you know who you know who it's for
1: oh yeah absolutely so basically um the idea behind the podcast for me was to keep learning about the space. A lot of stuff is changing on an everyday basis. There's uh, new advancements in research. There's new advancements in the development. Um, There are new ways in in building kind of the most, uh, most uh, savvy applications out there. And I want to feel this uh, kind of constant push to learn more and to talk to the folks that have the expert level knowledge in the field. and it so happens that at Cohere, I am meeting plenty of those. They they have so much experience coming from all kinds of companies, um, the the bigger kind of uh, you know Instagrams, Facebooks, Metas, Google's, whatnot, and also the the more of the startup space. And um, it's always so interesting to to talk when we have a lunch break when we meet. Uh, we we are remote based company, so we are kind of all over the world, but we do have these. Um, time to time throughout the year, we do have these uh, opportunities to catch up. And I love these moments and I love to talk to these people. They, they're they just like really awesome people. Generally, I love the culture here. I love my team. And um, another thing that I was thinking about was that in our LLM space, um, kind of by default, because there's just like the proportions look, the way they look, um, when it comes to female voice in the space, it's um, the... the airtime that female voice gets is not uh, spectacular. And I wanted to change these proportions, especially that uh, on an everyday basis, as I mentioned, I come across experts at Cohere. Um, So ladies that are really um, top of the game in their respective field when it comes to the LLMs that I want to learn from. And so um, the season one of the podcast is a series of 10, I believe, conversations with experts in the LLM space spanning from uh, LLM safety to uh, product chat interfaces design to um, marketing to um, back-end <laughs> side of things. Honestly, I, I really went down the rabbit hole and I'm talking to developers, researchers, researchers. Um, leaders in, in the space and, and talking about it from so many different angles um, and trying to honestly learn from them for my own benefit. But I think it's also interesting for others because we are in this kind of epicenter of the tech innovation at the moment at Cohere and being able to open, an, open it up um, to other folks that are not as close to it on an everyday basis. I feel like it's a valuable thing to do. Uh, and I hope it's going to be useful for for people when it comes to getting up to speed with what's um, you know the latest and greatest, but also the be- good practices, best standards that you can in- implement when you are thinking about building with LLMs. So basically, that's the that's the season one of the podcast. So I really encourage you, if you want to um, check it out, to just go to my YouTube channel, or you can find it on the Sandra Kublik podcast on Spotify or Apple podcasts. And, um, I also welcome feedback and suggestions for future topics. I've got plenty already after the first two episodes that were already released. And I'm really interested in kind of your response to it. And I'm going to shape the upcoming seasons based off of, uh, the feedback that I'm getting and the, your needs, basically your questions and your interests.
0: So, yeah, I mean, I'll definitely be getting those links. I mean, I've already, you know, seen you on YouTube, but I'll get all the relevant links of you and I'll put that in the description for anyone that's interested to check that out. And is there something that comes out on a weekly basis, you know, when you're, you know, in season, or is it every two weeks, or is it a bit more free-flowing? What's the release schedule?
1: I'm releasing every episode every two weeks. Yeah. And there is currently 10 episodes in season one. I will probably going to take a break because I'm going to um, travel to Sydney. (laughs) It's going to take me like two weeks to get there and kind of get off my jet lag. And then I am going to kind of gather all the impressions I got and and comments and feedback I got from season one and then start working on season two so I'm planning to release it on kind of an ongoing basis every two weeks but I am going to take a little break between season one and two
0: okay and you know what made you go for that style where you're doing seasons and I'm seeing this a lot with you know podcasts versus just saying okay I'm just gonna continuously release so every week every two weeks obviously you might miss a week whatever but like you're just continuously pumping them out you know w- you know what is it a matter of making sure you can get enough guests or have enough topics or is it a matter of make sure you know you have a bit of downtime from the podcast you know you know w- what's the reason behind that because i'm sure somebody listening will be thinking oh, i want to start my own podcast you know do i go the you near know, season route do i go the non-season because fire dev is on the non-season route it is literally just new episode every single week and that's how it's been going for the last 70 plus that's 75 76 weeks so just almost a year and a half now and that's what i'm planning on you know doing but every time i upload a podcast you know i'm putting the episode number then it's also saying you know season number obviously i leave that blank and it's something that i'm you know constantly seen when i'm uploading it and again you know i do think about it so what was your rationale behind it
1: yeah so first of all congratulations on uh keeping the the podcast alive for so long it's I it's know, an incredible yeah. effort you've put in <laughs> i can imagine how much it uh it uh, costs you personally so yeah i think it's a combination actually of of reasons for me first of all i have already experienced running my own youtube channel and creating kind of shorter form videos where i'm only talking head in the video um, and i've noticed that i am more stimulated where i don't only teach but i also kind of talk to somebody and i'm able to get feedback on my thoughts so the conversation podcast conversation seems like a perfect um perfect format but the reason i'm doing it in seasons is because first of all i wanted to have this um kind of peace of mind that, okay, I'm going to record 10 conversations and then I am going to focus on the release and the promotion and kind of also for myself, um, integrating, internalizing this content and getting all the insights, um, cherry picking them and posting them on socials, but also for myself, just kind of learning from it. And it takes time. Honestly, if you have a two hour conversation, just like we have right now, um, kind of freestyling and then listening back to it it's a completely different experience you feel like you're you're learning new things like you're discovering new things so that's how i feel when i am working on the kind of post-production and i wanted to have this um kind of luxury of having enough uh backlog of episodes to be able to just focus on the post-production and on editing and on releasing and uh, kind of creating a narrative for it. So, so that was the reason number one. And then reason number two is um, I really enjoyed having kind of a coherent vision for this one season and having a thesis on it. So, for me, the the mission was to kind of open open what we are doing at Cohere up to people, and also give ladies more airtime in the space. <laughs> so that was the kind of the two. Two arguments that I had with with season one, and I really enjoyed being able to kind of stay consistent throughout for the for the number of episodes on it, and I will be enjoying also doubling in something new, you know, having a new kind of thesis, having a new direction, and uh, and kind of going about it in in the future seasons. And I know that um, also having time in between seasons helps me to kind of gather my energy, my thoughts, and improve for the future editions. Um, I can already see I'm improving in terms of the conversation uh, fluency, let's put it that way, um, and kind of the, the, the enjoyment I'm getting as well myself and the production quality from episode to episode. But um, I will also improve from, from season to season, and I wanted to give myself the time to do that.
0: Okay. And your podcast, you know, what sort of length typically are the episodes? Cause, you know, like with Fire Dev, it's a long-form, you know, podcast. And though it varies, it's usually closer to the two-hour mark than like the 30-minute mark. I mean, did have one episode that was either four hours. It's actually the most popular wow. episode, to be fair. So I don't know <laughs> if it's because it was four hours or it was the guest itself case. Uh, it was... um. Uh, Casey Muratori from the Molly Rocket YouTube channel, where he creates a game engine from scratch, and but I, I think he's partly because of that. You know the you know the the you know the viewership and the response of the of that particular episode. But yeah, like it's usually one and a half two hours. So like, what sort of length do you go for? And again, why?
1: So I am going for one and a half hour mark roughly. Um. Honestly, first of all, I I do enjoy long-form podcasts. I feel like you really have space to go level deeper um, than these kind of like 30 minutes, 10 to 30 minute podcasts. And I ap- appreciate those as well. Sometimes you just want to have kind of like a snug bite of, of something and uh, and shorter form podcast is perfect for that. But, if you want to go a level deeper and if you want to give yourself enough space to uh, explore different areas with your guests, um then I think long form podcast is uh, is definitely better for that. I did that because I felt like I will be able to within this period of time um talk both about kind of the personal side of things for for my guests and also about the professional side of things so I am hugely interested in personal uh, experience just as much as I am interested in their knowledge of the field. So especially when I'm talking to ladies roughly my age, you know having their own experiences in the tech space and figuring out their careers and what to focus on and why, um, it's hugely um interesting and kind of inspiring to me to to learn from from that, but also they have this uh, kind of expert level domain. Uh, knowledge that I want to tap into, and I know that many of people listening will be interested in. So I wanted to to have the space for both, and I feel like it's a, it's a nice balance. It also gives me a nice balance of being able to, in the post production stage, um, not spend too much of my uh, free time on you know uh, perfecting and manicuring the recording. But also being able to kind of work with it, chop it down, dive deeper, um, and kind of create my own version of understanding of it, which is something that I am primarily interested in and why this podcast exists. Um, With the podcast, I also have my Substack. I launched Substack alongside with it. And what I'm doing there is basically cherry picking the most interesting, juicy bits of the conversations that I'm having and discussing it there. So for me, it's really about, um, being able to, uh, have, having the, having enough time to kind of do this internal work with the, the, um, content that I'm producing with the podcast, but also having the balance of not spending too much of my time in between the episodes and I think it works well and I think it's important especially for folks that are listening that are thinking about having your own podcast it's um it's really important to take your personal needs into account and your personal capacity Um, it's really easy to kind of start with best intentions in in mind and uh, dedicate yourself fully to it but um if you will not take into account the fact that you need to rest as well, um, that you need to hang out with friends, <laughs> have life, so to speak. Um, Plus, you
0: probably have another job as well. I know yes. what you mean. Like, it's something that, you know, I, I remember thinking about as I was like, you know, I want to do two episodes a week, you know, like Monday, Thursday, you know, something like that. Because right now, it's just once a week, every Thursday. And that's how it's been since the start. But like, you, you do, especially... I don't know if you've got this feeling when you start when you started and you and you know like it's going quite well you, you know you're thinking okay you know I'm recording these. it's going well I can open it to two a week three a week you know whatever it is and though I've never done that you know I've thought about it and then there's times I'm like I'm happy that I didn't because mm-hmm. at least I've been cause like every week without fail, there's been a new episode you know I. 5 a.m. GMT Thursday, and I've been consistent with that. I think that's been much better than me to do that. And then some weeks have two, then some weeks have nothing. Some weeks have three, then two weeks have nothing. Like it's it, it's been far better to have it that way, that consistency, and then you know people know the audience knows. Okay, every week Thursday, 5 a.m. Well, even if they don't care about the time, they just know Thursday. You know, fire dev episodes coming out. You know, regardless, like having that consistency, and obviously, you know, like with yourself as well with the episodes. Having that consistency is far better than the sheer quantity. Even if the quality of each episode is still high, if there's no consistency, I think that's far worse than having less but consistent.
1: I agree. You need to have a certain rhythm. You need to, first of all, you need to build a rhythm in your own life, in your own schedule to have that. Um, and then it helps you to push through the more challenging moments when you are you know particularly busy in one area of your life and um it's it's kind of harder to dedicate the time but you already have a system and you already have this kind of motion going for yourself which is great um for me hmm. so i really didn't want to overwhelm myself because i've done these big projects in the past where i've done the youtube channel regularly um releasing episodes now i'm much less regular with it i only release stuff when i'm super interested in something um so it's much far much more far in between but then the quality of the episodes i think is higher but um and then and then i had the book and i remember being so exhausted <laughs> at the at the end of writing the book and uh, while running the youtube channel and i really needed to take a break from everything and i didn't want to put so much pressure on myself this time i wanted to give myself more leeway to be able to you know have life and sustain a certain rhythm for myself to to keep it long term rather than to kind of put a lot of effort for let's say one year of time and then just uh, leave it because I'm too exhausted to continue.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. It's like you having that consistency, and I've actually found that with my YouTube channel, it's been a while outside of Fire that I even you know, uploaded something. I'm gonna get back into the few videos, especially around AI and ChatGPT that I have planned. But I, that sheer quantity of content that I use—I mean, when I was at university and just past university. I was doing four or five plus videos a day, like it was insane. Just like tutorial, tutorial, tutorial. And I was pumping out like a new like core like effectively a new course on YouTube, like a C plus plus course every week or so and it was it was great and you know the reception was great but again it was that intensity of again I'm slowing down but I'm gonna try and improve the quality of the video that I say make you know, them a bit more relevant instead of having like a 50 video course where only four of them are the ones that really people, <coughs> you know, want. And, you know, they're the ones, you know, that are watching. I think st- if somebody's listening, I think the store, that place in something still that I would like to do where, you know, you're having <coughs> this really comprehensive course of 50, 80 or a hundred vid plus videos on, let's say a random a programming language or a topic, because you still need all those other points, you know to learn about but uh, you know as you know i'm going you know i've grown older i've got responsibilities with work you know married kids you know all that other stuff and then you know trying to fit time in for other stuff as well uh you know I, I it's definitely something that's hit my youtube channel definitely and something that i'm trying to you know get back into but like you say like just make it a bit more almost intentional, yeah. Again, I'm instead of saying you know, I want to do a video a day or you know, multiple videos a day, it's going to be okay, I want to try and do one a week, maybe spend a bit more time than I would on one video, usually, but it is a bit higher quality and a bit more passionate. And I think that'll you know drive me to doing the more consistent videos, but yeah, that's something I'm you know, going to get back into. I think that's something. That anyone that's listening, make sure you can you have figure out a sort of schedule that you can you know do it consistently long term. And you might not figure that out straight away; it might take a few years, it might take a few life events for you to figure that out. But you know, just modify and change it as you go along.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, you you recently had a baby, right? Did you did you tell yes, me that? Uh, yes, I mean, I
0: recently my son was born in December, and then my daughter was born in March in twenty twenty two. So I've had two children you know very quickly Uh, yeah i mean
1: yeah it's like it's a it's it's a crazy big uh lifestyle change for you and also to being able to you know uh combine it and uh partner it with with having a podcast uh, on a regular basis is really really inspiring uh for myself as well because i'm just wondering what will happen in in bigger life events like this but um I think it's really important also to, you know, for for uh, for your community that dedicates time to looking at the material, the more time you dedicate to it, the better their experience. I really care about that experience to like crazy levels of anxiety when there's something off with my recording once I uh, kind of launch it and then listen to it. Usually it's so minute that uh, only I am able to tell, but uh, still it gives me a lot of anxiety. I really care about the stuff that, uh, that goes out. And you are able to just uh yeah give it more give it more of uh love, create a better description uh create less noise uh and more focus for a particular piece of content and that is appreciated by your community as well and another thing is that you know we are all kind of surrounded by content on an everyday basis there's always something to um uh, kind of tune into, and your community will most likely not um require from you to give them updates on an everyday basis rather they will probably watch stuff on in their free time once a week or whenever they have a whenever they have some time or maybe binge watch one time you know <laughs> throughout not necessarily uh doing it regularly so um also taking taking into account that we're just like bombarded by content out there um, and we don't have to produce, constantly produce, 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 but rather just sometimes just focus and collect thoughts. Um, I think I think it's the better way to go than uh, feeling this like compulsive need of uh, putting something out there.
0: Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. And you know it all, the, you know comes back to that point of you know being consistent <coughs> <coughs> and also being intentional. Know with the content as well, and uh, you know, you know, like you said, you know, I've had two children in a very short period of time. Uh, uh um, yes, I started dev after I had my daughter as well. So you know, I, I, it wasn't like it was before, and I just continued it. The decision was made, and like record, and the episodes were recorded the first few after my first child was born, and I think the reason that I've been able to be consistent with it so far and make sure i'm hitting a new episode every single week is because there's a lot more intention behind the podcast there's a lot more you know use that to use that cliche term no passion behind it though there has been intention and passion behind with the youtube channel and you know i love that and i love the community around that that i built it's there was a lot of content there that was just you know i'm just gonna put it out there Uh, And there wasn't as much. So I'm I'm imagining when I get back to doing the YouTube stuff again, I want to get back to it sooner rather than later. With that intention and a bit more focus, I think I'll find it easier to be more consistent because it's like, okay, each video and each piece of content is more for for more laid out. And I really want to do instead of it being, okay, I'm doing a course on HTML and, to do a course on HTML, I have to cover fifty topics or forty other topics. I'm not really fussed about. I know, and I don't care about creating a video for. It's just because I will, I need to do that for the HTML course. Only ten of them that I really you know want to do, for example. So I feel like once it's a bit more focused, because I like one thing I want to do, and uh, you know, other people have done it as well, is. You know creating a game using chat gpt obviously my background is especially my academic background from university is in computer games programming and i want to do you know making games but using chat gpt and how you can leverage it and i think that you know really excites me and i f- find that side of it you know very interesting instead of saying okay i'm just going to do endless number of you know courses or series on how to create a game using this language, this framework and this engine. And though that has been helpful, the problem is again, you know, taken a huge step back from the channel outside of publishing fire dev content on there. And I think that hasn't obviously helped, you know, obviously the community versus making sure there's something consistently, you know, going out there outside of the podcast.
1: Yeah, like I'm I'm just thinking, listening to, to this, that uh, with, with ChatGPT, it almost kind of gives you the opportunity to go beyond um, particular framework or language and just focusing on kind of conceptualizing a game and focusing on helping others, guide them through steps in order to make any kind of game in any language, in any framework, because that's what effecti- effectively language models give you. They give you access to... Um, this kind of fluency proficiency in different types of languages and frameworks that you don't have to know but you need to understand enough about building games um, and kind of having this idea from 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 the very concept all the way until the the final bits and bits and pieces that also make make up for like a huge kind of the joyful experience of a game, right? Like if, if a game has um, some special, like somebody put a lot of love behind it and all these tiny details are in check, then then users, gamers really appreciate that. I myself do. <laughs> and uh, so I really love that you, you can actually play with ChatGPT um, no matter the particular framework or, or language because it's not going to, Uh, take so much of your time to kind of master uh, a particular thing and it opens up the possibilities to, to the audience that is not so fluent in a particular language as well because they can just converse in a natural language with with ChatGPT and then get, um, you know, pieces of code that they, they can later use and so forth. So it's it's really cool. I've had this experience once Codex uh, by OpenAI, the, the code generation model came out. I was replicating one game that they've created, like a demo that, that they've put online. And I've done this uh, super basic Baby Yoda. Uh, game <laughs> where Baby Yoda was uh trying to escape from spiders. I don't know if you've seen this series, but uh, there was I'm, not, but I'm
0: gonna check it because I do love Mandalorian.
1: Yeah, so so in Mandalorian there was an episode where where yeah Baby Yoda Mandalorian got in trouble and there were like huge spiders, um chasing them. So there was so the game was about um kind of avoiding the spiders while uh, being a Baby Yoda yourself. So it's super it was super cute and like. I honestly, I every time I interact with LLMs um, in the area that I'm not a specialist in. I am being blown away. So being able to just design a game from scratch without no prior understanding of how to make a game was just like mind-blowing for me. And that's something that I really love about the that makes me, makes me uh, stay in this field. And I think I'm just going to continue because every time I hear about new use case, like even you um, interacting with ChatGPT, every one of us has our own way of doing that. And it's not even about the type of tasks you give it to but it's also about the relationship the amount of time you spent with it and the kind of level of detail and the type that the kind of angle of the questions that you're going for so I think you working with it and sharing it out there with others will be super useful for for people to just have a reference point even not even go step by step the, the same way but also have a reference point and become more familiar with the with the tool itself so that they can make it their own.
0: Oh, yeah. And, you know, anyone that's listening to this and feels like, oh, you know, they really want to watch content like that. And obviously, you know, I would love for you to watch mine. But there's another guest that I had on the podcast, Anul Agarwal, here a few weeks back, and he's the founder of a games company called Momo Games. And that's, what he, that's one of the things he does. He uses ChatGPT. And he's got videos of how he does it to create whole games that he's published, and and I'm talking about part of the code, the artwork as well. And honestly, if you look at it, they look really good. So you know, if you want to, you know, check it out. Check out that episode of fire. F Plus. Also check him out as well. I think you'll find it very interesting, Sandra. You know, his content is on LinkedIn, and, you know, YouTube as well, I believe, and he's you know publishing a lot of content of that side of it. Where again, you know, he's really leveraging it to, you know, make games. And I think, you know, that's really exciting. Uh, again, he does come from a technical background, but like I said, it's exciting for people that don't come from technical backgrounds. Uh, I'm sure you're seeing it, I'm seeing it a lot, where they're doing stuff that they never would have been able to, and they would have had to hire developers, interact with the developers, learn some jargon, or get a middleman, and that was costly and time consuming. And now they're just, you know, generating artwork, you know, pumping out some sort of a little bit of code, and you know technically figuring it like it's not that difficult for them to figure it out versus going from scratch to making a whole game in a game engine so they're willing to spend the, those few hours or a day or two to figure it out versus weeks and months or even years uh so so yeah like the possibilities that tools like ChatGPT are providing and obviously with like their, their, their dolly as well is absolutely amazing yeah no i
1: i totally agree and I mean, even if you don't end up building games, you still get a kind of taste of it. You you get a touch of what it's like mm-hmm. and what, what it requires to kind of put together. And then you have a better understanding of what kind of talent you need uh, that then can maybe use generation tools with a higher level of understanding and actually create something really pretty. Um, but yeah, just, just uh, getting in touch with LLMs is always a good idea. I always advise people to... Uh, try it out themselves so i'm gonna i'm gonna check out this uh this uh fella that you just recommended that sounds really cool
0: oh yeah it, it definitely put put out some great content so you know mm. something that you mentioned towards the start of the episode is that you was heavy into philosophy you know you did that uh, you know university and you know somebody that's listening and i know people that don't really study philosophy that much or have that much interest in it they do you know, see it as pointless, useless. You know, just you know, intellectuals thinking about what's the meaning of life. Even though I'm sure you know, it goes way beyond that. Uh, you know, in, in reality, the the word philosophy just means a uh, you know lover of your knowledge. When you etymologically break the word down, uh, but you know, as as someone who myself or over the last. 15 or so years has gone pretty heavy into topics outside of my core technical, you know, you know, skill set, you know, economics, you know, philosophy and history. I really do see the benefit that philosophy, especially when you study it deeply, can help on your career, even a very technical career especially when you, I think, especially when you're looking at tools like, you know, ChatGPT, when you have, you know, ethical, you know, concerns, when you have the unknown nature of AI, of what it can do, not just from a bad perspective, but you know, just in general, because it's still very new in its current state. Uh, I definitely know how much it's been beneficial for me. But how have you found going into the tech industry, and especially AI, the, you know what have you found that philosophy you know really helps with?
1: Hmm. So I would say that st- studies in philosophy per se. I mean, you may or may not opt in for that. I was always drawn to it even before uh, I became a university student. So for me, it's just something very natural, kind of a natural. Uh, tendency for my mind to ask questions to investigate to ask about definitions of things to kind of go into this meta level um and think about the bigger picture always always was like this so i'm just this is just my nature and i was just following my um my inner kind of tendencies um and so the way i i find that this kind kind of tendency is perfect for working in the field that I'm working in where a lot of things are happening really fast. Um, things are very dynamic and the definitions of things are honestly being formed as we speak um, and you have to have this constant kind of curiosity you have to have this constant ability to ask tricky questions to look for answers to kind of not be satisfied with something superficial, uh, in order to keep up to speed and to keep having a good understanding and good, good feeling of a grasp on it. So that's something that I really appreciate about, uh, kind of this frame of mind of, um, of poking things that's what i do in my podcast we i just had a conversation with uh, with seraphina goldfarb Tarrant, who is the head of ai safety at cohere and um she has a background in ancient civilizations so we talked about kind of ancient ancient philosophy and and figures that uh she was inspired by but also we were talking about uh we ventured into kind of talking about what large language models mean for the processing of information for us humans and what kind of this tool, this kind of technology means for our culture and how it's going to impact our culture. And you're able to go to this like higher level uh, picture of things with with philosophical framework of of mind. And um, also, interestingly, a lot of the people at Cohere have um, even if they have a computer science degree they have PhD uh, in computer science or math or whatnot they do have a um, secondary degree in philosophy often more often than not so that's interesting and that's kind of um, I guess what draws me what keeps drawing me back in that you have this community of people that are very deeply into this specific technology but they're also very interested in you know pondering in questioning in thinking about the ethical dimension the issues the challenges not only kind of raving and going blindly into creating an agi whatever that means <laughs> you know for for a particular company but but kind of asking questions and asking about the implications of the technology and we think about it all the time we care about it so so deeply um and you can see it from you know the um like big big part of uh for example creating a good model is having a very robust annotators team that is um on a day-to-day basis interacting with the model and marking whether this particular output is good enough or whether it's wrong uh and annotating kind of the results and so when you have when you are exposing a group of people to raw model outputs uh you're exposing them to all sorts of kind of harm in terms of um outputs being toxic, outputs being racist, xenophobic, uh, you know, whatnot. Just just exposing them to a lot of kind of garbage that the models produce before you tame them into this like nice, manicured, production-ready version. And um at cohere, we really care about the the safety of our annotators but there there are companies that don't there are companies that um have this sort of uh model of uh almost like social media have with um with um collaborating with companies that are very cheap located somewhere in the developing world where um People have very, very lowest lowest wages and they are exposed to um, pictures and comments and whatnot that are really disturbing um, and that impacts their well-being. So um, there are companies in our space, I'm not going to point fingers, but you can kind of Google it out, um, that don't care about that and that uh, don't think about it and that, that don't set certain standards. So this is just an example of kind of the ethical consideration that, uh, that is present there where you have, you are thinking about the bigger picture, thinking about the safety of, uh, of your employees, but also of, of people that are going to interact with the technology?
0: Oh, yeah. I think that's definitely a very important, you know, consideration to have, you know, the people that are interacting, the method they're interacting with, especially when you do have a technology, you know, this disruptive and potentially, you know, impactful as well. But, you know, going back to, you know, the topic of, you know, philosophy, you know, what are some of your, you know, favorite and, you know, go-to philosophers and maybe stories or books as well?
1: So I think I am still very, very inspired by the generally school of thoughts in the ancient times that are uh, trying to understand the relationship between our understanding of reality and which tools are the best tools to kind of do that. And also what is the, what is the source, the, the, the kind of, uh, mechanism behind our reasoning and, um, what does it mean for us as humans? What is our kind of higher level thinking and, uh, and, and what it means for us, what it what it um, means for us being different from other organisms, other biological beings. <laughs> I find it so extremely inspiring, and especially in the context of uh, AI and creating something, kind of trying to recreate um our level of perception of the world and potentially create something that's perhaps a little bit different, but like. Much savior in certain areas and how it will help us unlock the understanding of various sciences of how how our world is working. I I think it's going to be incredible and also yeah I think just generally there, they have been they have been spending so much of their time thinking about what it means to live a good life and what are the kind of higher level pl- principles you can have uh, when it comes to living your life how attached uh, you want or you don't want to be to certain things in life um, and what ultimately uh, gives you this level of stability and happiness that you can maintain throughout. I think uh, sto- Stoics and uh, skeptics also are incredible. Skeptics are all about, for me, they're like ultimate precursors of uh our scientists today they're all about suspending your judgment when it comes to any any inputs that come into your perception and um understanding that there is no certainty whatsoever that you may have based on the judgments and the the kind of ways in which your are Mind is processing data and what it creates as a result. What kind of narrative? What kind of movie it creates for you as a result? I I love uh, skeptics and their kind of yeah they're they're really stubborn um, really stubborn lesson uh, stubborn narrative about not believing our own perceptions because they're always. Um kind of very subjective and very much coming from a certain way we interpret reality and the the tools we have to interpret the reality so yeah it's i I find it still very powerful and it's really meaningful and uh my um my plan at the moment <laughs> once I retire from my professional life is to actually come back to philosophy and keep keep studying keep learning I know a little bit of uh, Latin but I want to learn Greek ancient Greek and I know it's a huge task so it's going to take uh, quite some time and, and dedication but uh, I I want to get back to it and I want to um, also be able to read uh, these uh, folks in original because it's also a different types of Type of experience once you have this kind of uh, rich cultural framework to unlock the meanings behind different notions and stuff
0: oh yeah I, I mean learning latin and greek especially asian greek is something that i'm you know interested in as i haven't really you know made doing anything towards it but that's something now that i would like to as well and you know you know you know being able to read it in its original you know text the original tongue is you know you know the best thing you know one things get lost in translation but two there's the, the, the also the very real thing that people translate it and then they change the meaning and that almost becomes a de facto text because nobody can read the original one or hardly anyone can and everyone that's buying it on amazon is buying it in english so you know there, there's also that the way certain you know messages are removed because there's a certain agenda that a particular individual or organizational group you know maybe at some point in history has and because you can't read the original language you you don't know you just assume that that is the you know, way the original, you know, author, philosopher, scientist, you know, economist, whoever intended it, like I've seen this, you know, done a few times where there's been a particular like economist or philosopher and, you know, they might have a bit more left leaning than the, than the English version that you can get off Amazon, you know, conveys and it's because it it's basically being removed or you know modified and you know there's that as well like you know at that point who are you reading are you reading the original philosopher or are you basically reading an interpretation a miss a you know interpretation you know on purpose by some translator and again that could be a an individual an organization a movement over that might span decades or even centuries Uh, and i think that's also another reason like if you are interesting and that goes into any field ignoring just philosophy it is good for you to if you are passionate about something and it's something that you think about you know a lot and i think there's a lot of things that a lot of people do you know go into the core fundamentals go into the basics it doesn't mean you have to learn a new language sometimes it might just be okay i'm not going to take what some celebrity or news reporter or someone famous on youtube is saying to me in five minute chunk i might have to go and read the original book and then realize, okay, that's just a small sub you know section of what's in the book you know or original text, and it's not even even representative of the whole message of the you know that particular medium as well, so that's very important is doing your own research, and I know a lot of people will probably be list, listening to that and thinking you know that's too much effort, but that's life, I would say like just to put it bluntly, that's life, you have to put the effort in otherwise you get misinformed you know you don't have the full picture and you just go about life not knowing why you're doing the things that you're doing not knowing why the things that are being said are said in that way and what it actually means that when something has been changed you don't know because you think that is the actual version
1: yeah there there are a few things here like one that translation interpretation is huge i agree and uh from language to language but also across centuries you can only imagine yeah. how different the perception of people um thousands of years ago of certain terms like love or life or mm. death you know what 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 were they thinking what kind of examples they were having in their head when they were thinking about it how culturally different it was from our uh contemporary experience this is a huge huge um jump that you're making uh, in terms of like trying to understand this ancient text uh, and translate it into modern terms where you are using just terms that are somewhat related to it and closer to our own experience to convey the meaning but it might be something completely uh, in reality completely kind of um different just because of the circumstances that this text created. But also, um, you know, this reminds me of I I read this tweet uh, from Andrew carpati recently, who created this huge, huge tweet on um the this the, the the challenges and the kind of superficiality of bite-sized content, educational content that is closer to ent- entertainment than studying. Uh, versus actually putting in the work and putting uh, putting in the sweat blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> a proverbial to to actually master something because all all learning kind of comes at cost and it has to be hard and it has to be painful but here I think um it 's always a question of degree like we're bombarded with information and we have access to all kinds of information uh in these days and the most important thing I think is to figure out the direction you want to take and to be able to do that you need to taste a little bit of something so maybe before you decide you know which language which programming language you're going to learn or which uh, philosopher you're going to get into you want to have a kind of general rough understanding of what all of them are talking about or like what you can do in these programming languages and what kind of career advancements you can expect and then kind of choose consciously and go and dedicate this time uh to master something so I, i feel like you need a little bit of both these days like you you need to be You need to expose yourself to a lot of the things, but then you need to start narrowing down, kind of like a language model. Like uh, Large language models are uh, called large because they have been trained with huge amounts of data coming from the internet. Essentially, you can imagine that to train GPT-3, the entire internet was scraped and turned into a huge data set that then the large language model was trained on. So... So you start with, like, maybe not such a huge um, span of things, but you start with, like, a bigger sample and then you slowly kind of narrow down and go deeper and you become uh, more attuned to the nuances and uh, you can relate to people that are following it, um, the latest updates, the latest kind of, the latest and greatest new things, and you can have a deeper conversation about any particular uh, subject. So yeah i i would say like it like the the effort is needed but this kind of initial easygoing access to information it's also important these days and it helps people uh, select and decide uh
0: what to focus on oh yeah and i mean there's a several points there that you made that i want to you know talk about like the first thing is you know the fact that you do have to have a broad knowledge to really figure out you know what you want you know i hear it a lot you know especially as i'm from a technical background you know what language do i learn you know like you know what framework do i learn and it's like oh like what do you want to do and then on top of that can you commit yourself for the next 10 20 30 years like you might want to do ai and then i can say okay you know check out python you know that's looking like the you know that's the industry standard for you know artificial intelligence and machine learning but you might learn python uh, start to do ai then realize you don't actually like doing ai from a developer perspective you might actually prefer doing websites and doing HTML, javascript css front-end stuff but without that you know, little bit of, you know, broad knowledge, like you were saying, trying a bit of web, trying a bit of backend, trying a bit of Python, trying a bit of C or C++, maybe game dev, mobile. And then you figure out, okay, you know, AI, for the sake of AI, in terms of, you know, models and, you know, prompt engineering, I'm not fussed about, but you might want to marry that with some other path, whether that is, you know, gaming. Whether that is networking, and then see how you can plug that in with a bit of Python, possibly or C But you might want to go down, you know, the JavaScript route. But if you don't have that exposure, you you know, you'll go into let's say AI or whatever it is, and then you know, you you you'll feel like you're not advancing as much. You, you feel like there's something missing when you're actually in your career, and it's because you haven't had that you know that broad exposure, and then that exposure. Is also, you know, like you're saying, with philosophers, with scientists, you know, there's so many philosophers, too many to study in a lifetime in, in, in a in-depth way. Same with scientists, same with celebrities, if that's what you want to do, whatever it is. But if you don't, you know, broadly have a look, you won't realize, OK, this is the type of philosophy I want to, you know, really get into. And then on top of that, it's important for you to think, what do I want to, you know, get out of it for me, you know, for life? Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to you. What are you going to get out of it? What are you going to get out of it for the people that are close to you, your family, and, you know, your friends as well? Because if, you know, let's say if you're studying philosophy, if one philosopher is teaching about stoicism, and, you know, you know, specifics around that, but then one, is talking about relationships and love heavily and like you know what is more important to you and like what areas are you weaker at like if you have great relationships and you've never had issues with that then maybe focusing on the philosophy that is heavily based on relationships and love might not be the best thing because if that comes natural to you you don't have an issue there then why are you focusing too much on it like you might enjoy it but like are you getting value out of it? Whereas if you have issues with you know the element of stoicism, being calm, you know, living in the moment, uh, you know, you know, maybe you've a bit too much focus on your career or whatever it is, then maybe stoicism is the one. But again, if you don't one have that broad knowledge base, two, know what you want to get out of it, then you know you can't really make an informed decision of this is the right philosophy, this is the right programming language, this is the right, ultimately, career path as well. Because otherwise, you're it's basically the equivalent of getting in a car, turning it on, and just driving, but not knowing where you're going. Like You have the option of having a sat-nav in your life, and that's where that broad knowledge base comes in. And by having that, you have Google Maps available to you then, and then you can figure out, this is where I want to go, this is how I want to go. And then sometimes you'll have to readjust just the way Google Maps readjust when there's, you know, a road closure or there's a delay. You'll have to readjust in your own life as well and figure out, okay, this is what I wanted. This may have changed now, you know, based on, you know, the different things that have happened in your personal life, family, maybe you've, you know, got a family now, maybe you, you know, something's happened with the, you know, with your family, the relationship and you need to adjust, you know, accordingly your career, the philosophies that you follow everyone's following some philosophy and i think that's something you know very important to understand for you know as a listener is that you just because you might think okay i'm not interested in philosophy you you are still following some philosophy or philosophies it's whether or not they're gonna get you towards where you what you want and also they'll provide the value you know that you want you know from your life so i think that's also very important mm,
1: so i think in terms of philosophy the the great thing about it is it's more of a tool it's in in terms of like examining your beliefs and beliefs of others it gives you this tool to be able to unpack what are the assumptions about the world that you're making that constitute a certain way of thinking for you and the same goes for others so you're able to kind of look at it from a higher level perspective and not get so attached to it not get so into it that you cannot look outside of uh, mm-hmm. The scope of your own thinking um but it also the cool thing about it is that it really um i I don't think it like i personally when I'm thinking about the question of where I'm going, you know like I'm putting myself in this in this metaphor you've you've created I'm in the car, I set up the Google Maps and I'm looking at my career and life i I don't think I always have a destination in mind. i typically have like a general scope of where I'm interested in. So in this case, it's AI. Mm, but I never have like a ultimate destination in mind. And it's more about why. Like I'm doing this because I think it's important. I'm doing this because I think um it's stimulating and it keeps stimulating me and as long as that is happening I am happy to stay within this uh, within this route but I might need to change it if I feel stuck or something right um so so I feel that type of um kind of uh, asking yourself questions not only about where you want to go how do you get how do you extract value out of things but also like uh why like what's the ultimate what what are the assumptions what are the passions that are behind the things that you're doing is uh is useful and it's something that that philosophy is very it's a very natural thing to talk about
0: (laughs) oh yeah you know you know 100% it is and I think that if if there's you know one key or one of the key takeaways from this podcast it it is that you know be open, How you know, you hear that a lot, but I feel like people are very close-minded, you know, they won't broaden their knowledge base, they'll always be, you know, why do I need to learn that, you know, that's not useful, you know, they'll, you know, dumb other things, and it's just like, having that broader knowledge base will, one, allow you to discover things that you will not have discovered otherwise, and then you think, you might actually think, okay, I'm actually more interested in this than, what i did at university or what i you know grew up you know being exposed to so there's that and i feel like it helps make you more rounded individual but i feel like it also forms you know what whatever else you're doing as well because like if you have this broad knowledge base you can you know leverage those different skills that you have and you know for what you want to do you know you can get little bits and figure out okay this will help me you know here this you know the philosophy side, the economical the, the economy side the let's say the health and fitness side of you know life as well like you'll all help inform you know whatever path i've chosen so i think that's another thing to like key takeaway i would say is everything is so interlinked that just because it doesn't seem like it's obviously you know linked you probably can you know find a way of you know it helping you and if you are that person where you are open-minded and you've studied a broad range of things you'll probably just become apparent you know just automatically because you you're that person where you are truly open-minded that you know you'll just become apparent like this helps you know in this scenario this is you know this even though they will be unrelated
1: yeah yeah and also um, i feel like so for for folks that are like eyeing LLMs and artificial intelligence and feel a bit overwhelmed because like you can feel overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that is that it's happening mm. and um, plus it's just like you know all, all sorts of questions about what's going to happen to my job is it going to be relevant in the future blah 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 so it's it's actually I'm saying blah 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 but it's like it's a it's a super relevant question people have and it might contribute to them having a sense of meaning or not so it's it's a huge deal um i would say that um ai is here to stay so uh it's it's like electricity was here to stay and whether you accept it or not is gonna <laughs> it's going to happen it's going to it's going to get broadly adopted so it's a really good idea to get exposed to it somehow um, and find an angle that interests you the most. So it doesn't have to be diving deeply into some, you know, chain, LLM, GPT, whatnot frameworks, and start building with it. It might it might be a great uh, path for you to get hands on and see how how creative you can be with it, how open this field is, and how many smart people building so many cool things, What what actually drew me in. Um, so you may want to do that, but you don't have to like you can approach it from more from policy standpoint. you can approach it more from the cultural standpoint, from the product standpoint, just thinking about what the next generation of apps will look like and how they're going to change thanks to this technology and how that may impact what you're doing currently or in the future. I think this is also a way to kind of approach it as long as you approach it as long as you approach it and, and get exposed to it, um i think i think you've done well <laughs> and uh, so so don't shy away from ai keep keep an open mind about it and um yeah also don't worry about uh you know you have to master it right now to stay relevant of course it's it's a field that keeps growing it's a booming field so we welcome all kinds of talent and people willing to join the ship and kind of keep working on it but you can also just use the technology that we develop and actually implement it in somewhere that interests you more so it could be medicine or it could be law or it could be finance what whatever whatever your game is um you can you can do that but have enough of an understanding of it to be able to do that to to treat it as this tool that helps you do something else um, so yeah, just uh, just a big shout out to AI and to to you guys to uh, stay close to it and don't stress and sweat over it, but find a way to use it that works for you because that's ultimately what it's for.
0: Oh yeah, I think that's you know very interesting. You know, very important. What you were saying is that AI is here to stay. It is like the advent of internet, electricity, mobile, you know, mobile phones, you know, the way we know it and computers, et cetera. Um, and as long as if you look at it and you agree with that notion that it's here to say, no matter what your opinions are about it, no matter what industry you are in, if you do agree, you know, with that statement and I, something I agree with as well, that it is here to stay and it's not. In its general sense, going away again. Open AI, Chat GPT might not be here in ten years. I think you will. I think that will be one of the new big tech companies. But it might not be. But AI in itself is not going to go away. Once, you, if you are, you know, if you believe that like we do, then it doesn't matter I- about anything else. Then it matters. Okay, how do I, you know, become more equipped? to utilize and like i said it's not about going into the you know the rabbit hole of llms or you know learning python to code like it it doesn't have to be that much and for most people listening it won't be because they're not from a technical background they don't have the inclination and the desire to you know they'll go that deep technically speaking into it however what you can do is literally just go to chat you know gpt's website which, uh, again uh, i've got a bookmark it's chat.openai.com like just go to their website you know just log in and just start using it there's so many people that will have heard of ai will have heard of chat which is probably most people especially in the developed world right now and if you ask the average person have you gone on the website they'll be like no i haven't you know tried it i've never you know used it and but then they'll be shocked when 10 years pass by or five years pass by and you know people or you know employers are asking you know do you know how to use this tool it's like it is normal for any person to think that you know you need to know how to use excel to some level or spreadsheets or you know word documents or computers it is nobody would sit there and say oh you know why do i need to know how to use a computer it is you know considered a fundamental you know requirement for for most jobs to some level you know, to, to have that knowledge, even if they don't talk about it or not. But, and this is going to be the same thing with AI as well. Again, it's not about using the APIs or creating applications. It might just be, you know, do you know how to do some basic prompt engineering? And again, that might not be the term that's used. It might just be, do you know how to use ChatGPT or this AI tool for this context? And if you've do, if you've never used it, then you're going to be left in the dark when the people will have experimented it for six to 12 months. And a bit of casual experimentation over a six to 12 month period, you'll start to realize, okay, this is really powerful. This is what it can do. This is what it can't do. Again, you don't need to be an expert, but just, you know, just, have it, just using it. And you'll be able to, Actually, utilize it in some meaningful way, and then on top of that, you'll probably discover that okay, this is actually really cool, and that I can use it in my own career on life to enhance these certain areas without too much hassle, without spending you know, ridiculous amounts of time to optimize Chat GPT or the you know, the flow for what I'm doing. You, you'll just uncover you know, ways, and I think that's something very important. Is that a lot of people listening, this is not something that's going to take over overnight. It, but it is coming, like Sandra, you know, has just said. Uh, and actually, you know, on that topic, topic as well, I, you know, what, what's your thoughts and opinions, and you know, uh, you know, your thoughts and opinions on the area than industries that AI tools is really, you know, I want to say taking over, but having an impact on. Because when we talked about AI. Five, 10 plus years ago and just automation and robots as well it was always it's going to take over truck drivers it's going to take over physical labor you know all that stuff you know nobody ever thought about oh you know it's going to really mm, potentially make a dent in the law industry medical industry you know coding you know writing you know the the intellectual pursuits you know per se, but. Th- the chat GPT, that's really what it's doing. I I don't think there's any builders in the world that are worried about their job because of Chat GPT. The, the ones that are a bit more worried are, you know, maybe writers or that industry and, you know, maybe, you know, lawyers or some of the, you know, the the entry level lawyers, you know, for example, people at law firms where some of that, you know, those tasks can be offloaded and automated so what's your opinions around that where it's actually gone versus where people thought ai was gonna go
1: yeah i think it's hard for me to imagine a profession in the future where ai will not have impact in it's kind of like thinking about what kind of profession search engine doesn't have impact in or you know like um like personal cell phone or something like this you know it's going to be so fundamental to the way we, we process information that it's going to be useful in all kinds of scenarios even even when you're a builder even when you're when you're building houses and you want to figure out um, the price of something and compare it to different products and figure out um, best course of action fast you're going to use AI in the future. You're already using AI underneath search engines and stuff like that, but you're going to use this type of this new type of AI, the LLM type of AI, uh, in those products and new products that will come as well. Um, but when when it comes to this like heavier heavier kind of disruption that you're talking about, um, I definitely think graphic designers, uh, copywriters, folks in the creative industries need to they really need to get hands on with this and they really need to make it part of their routine because the stuff that they have been learning so far this can be automated very fast right now so now they have more time to work with a tool that is going to ultimately automatically design something but work with it in a way that you know enhances their process so instead of kind of trying to use ChatGPT. let's say you're a graphic designer and you need to create a brand identity for somebody instead of going from scratch you can use ChatGPT to sample certain things show it to the client get early feedback and then keep honing on and working all right like you can you can use these tools to enhance the process rather than to fully replace it i don't think we are there yet to kind of like fully fully automate it although perhaps there are some people that are doing that but to at a level that i wouldn't consider um you know (laughs) top-notch we're not there yet so um i think yeah folks folks that are uh creators generally they already need to get hands-on with it and um that would be the number number one profession that i can think of right now that gets disrupted by what's happening
0: oh yeah you know 100 percent. you know i totally agree so yeah i mean i think we've had an amazing you know, episode today there's a, a bunch more that i want to discuss but i'm gonna save that for another episode and hopefully you know you'll come back sandra but before i always wrap up the podcast i always have a set of fun you know you know rapid fire questions to you know ask my guests are you ready for those
1: yes that's it
0: okay so if you if, if somebody said to you you can either have IOU use in Poland you have Euros, is that correct?
1: We have uh, Polish currencies, water.
0: Uh okay, different okay. So I, I I'll use, uh will use I'm I'm guessing you're aware of Euros and like the like how that is in terms of like the buying power. hmm Yeah, okay. So would you rather have half a million upfr you know every year for the rest of your life or five million upfront one off payment and why?
1: hmm that's a nice question so i think i would have upfront because i would probably invest it in stocks and then kind of uh count on the stocks to give me that dividends for the rest of my life yeah
0: okay and like do you do much investing right now because that was that was a pretty confident and quick answer of investing in stocks and the five million upfront. so do you do any investing right now and if so what type of investing
1: yes i do investing i actually outsource investing to my boyfriend but we talk about it a lot (laughs) and uh, we invest a lot in the natural resources at the moment
0: okay natural resources stuff like wood coal that sort of stuff yes yes that type of stuff okay fair enough and you know just going into that like what may again i think it's a good thing i think everyone should look into investing and you know Uh, you know obviously read about it learn about it and then actually you know begin and become an active investor but like what made you you know get into investing because a lot of people that you meet you know they're not active investors they don't have a clue or they then they don't even have the desire unfortunately to you know spend the time to learn about it so you know why do that is it as an alternative to a pension or you know you know you know why
1: yeah so one thing is that my mom has been working in financial industry for 40 years and she uh has this savviness about um making creating value out of the existing assets that you have and I kind of you know observed her doing that for a long time and went along with it but the other thing is that I don't really think that i I feel like there will be so so much disruption in our world happening that I don't think that I can count on any kind of like social support system in any given place, and I would rather not you know I would rather just look after my own um assets and uh, have the freedom also to move in between countries and and be able to use my portfolio however I want
0: okay fair enough. And if you was to run your own, you know, company, uh, you know, would you rather run a ten person or a one thousand person company, and why?
1: Ten person versus one thousand person. Yes. So at the moment, I would say ten person. I. I haven't been even working at a company that's at the scale of 1,000. And I can imagine that it takes a lot of streamlining in order to optimize what's going on there. Um, so I would, you know, I would start small and work my way into the bigger.
0: Okay. And you know, what's your favorite ball game, video game and movie?
1: My favorite ball game is volleyball. I love beach volleyball, especially um video game well it has to be super mario <laughs> really basic in that in that sense and i do it which by... one
0: I they like the original super mario or just like mario in general
1: mario in general yeah the the entire series just because i was brought up in it and now it's like super cool with nintendo switch and stuff and i still play it with my nephews but you know the the newest versions that enhance luigi and whatnot um yeah, and the movie. Hmm. There will be blood. I think would be my favorite.
0: Yes, uh, with Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> oh yeah, like that movie. Oh, I, I absolutely love that movie. I saw that cinema when that came out, and I've watched it subsequent times. You know, since then, I think that. I mean, pretty much any movie with Daniel Day Lewis is always. <laughs> entertaining and amazing i feel like his last movie which again was meant to be his last one the one about you know sewing for like that was a bit on the weak side relative to what he usually does but i feel like his performance in it was still very good the movie overall wasn't as good as something like there will be blood but yeah like there will be blood and even though it's not based on like a true story or a you know an individual there's still a lot of elements of truth in there and the nitty-gritty side of it you know it it wasn't a matter of you know everything's you know there, there isn't like no happy ending with that movie and it, it is just like you know like life you know things just go on and you know it is what it is but yeah that is i think a movie that's a master class in movie making
1: Yeah, it's a masterpiece. The soundtrack as well is just like Out of This World. I really recommend it if you haven't seen it and listen to the soundtrack.
0: Oh yeah, the soundtrack also combined with the visuals as well and, you know, the scenes where they're not constantly cutting. Again, this is something I hate about a lot of movies, especially modern movies, especially when you get into action movies, where they're constantly cutting different camera angles between different camera angles. With There Will Be Blood, you're just having some, you know, continuous shots and you're seeing... These epic set pieces and you know visuals, but you're not immediately thinking that they're epic, but they're, they they're kind of going under the radar and affecting you internally. And uh, you know, like I watch those so some of the scenes, especially you know when there's a lot of fire or a lot of oil, you know. And there I won't spoil it for to you know for anyone that hasn't watched it. But I actually you know when, when I'm watching the scenes where there's like that huge you know fire, I'm sure you'll know the one I'm referring to. It, like. I actually feel like I'm getting the heat from it. Like, I feel like there's a level of depth that I don't see in some other movie that's heavily CGI, that's, you know, has fire in them. So, okay, it's got fire. It looks realistic. It looks fine. Okay. Whereas this, I feel like, not that old burning, but I felt, you you know, the impact was more real.
1: It's incredible, yes. And it also leaves this heavy kind of silence with certain with certain scenes where yes you know things happened and they were heavy and you need now time to process and i love that about about this movie i think uh yeah it's a masterpiece just like you mentioned it's uh it's definitely a movie to be watched no matter whether interested in that type of cinema or not it's it's just a piece of artwork
0: oh yeah it is and it's it is definitely one of those movies that if you're not looking for something super fast-paced, but it's got, you know, a fast pace, you know, sort of an intense topic, this is definitely one of those ones. Because like I said, there are just scenes where it is just quiet, it is still, and some of the, you know, the messages conveyed are li- is literally just through the stillness, through the eyes of the characters, instead of it being constantly talking, constantly action. Whereas another movie that has a level of intensity that i love as one There's a great movie with leonardo dicaprio is blood diamond another great movie but it it, that is a lot more go 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 whereas this is going to step back it's going to be very still but it's going to have the same level of impact in a different way
1: Mm. yeah i love that description i haven't even been thinking about kind of the pace there but um yeah and and to add i would Uh, To that, I would add that the story itself, you know, it's kind of like, it's like a microcosm. You look at these uh, individual characters, just like a single kind of storyline in the broader concept, context of historical changes and um, kind of how the history of those times were was shaped. And it's very, very captivating and being able to go like really deep into the psyche of these characters and their relationships. It's, uh, yeah. It's it's really
0: well made. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I actually feel like watching that movie again. I'm, I feel like I'm gonna, f- find a little bit of time and uh, you know watch that movie again because again, like I said, it it is a masterclass in you know filmmaking. So. Wrapping up the podcast, actually, before I ask the last question, you know, uh, another question: What is the, what video game? If you're still you know actively playing, what video game are you looking forward to? And like, what movie are you looking forward to?
1: So I really want to check out Cyberpunk, and I don't have PlayStation at the moment, and I am planning to get one once I uh, go to Sydney because yeah. it's kind of hard to have it in in both uh, places. And so Cyberpunk would be my game. And then the movie I'm looking forward to. Oh, good question. I'm not really familiar with stuff that's coming out right now, you know? Uh, I mean, Oppenheimer was just fantastic. Like, I loved it. But like, and like a lot of the things that we said about <laughs> there will be blood there in Oppenheimer together with the soundtrack yeah. but uh but in terms of like what's coming i'm not really familiar with what's what's coming
0: okay I mean, you know that's fair enough i mean there are you know i'm trying to think what's coming i mean madam webb the new marvel movie is coming out on wednesday valentine day i'm taking a wife to go and see that we've got the tickets booked do what else? I mean, there are a bunch of other movies coming out as well. But again, it's one of those things when you sit down and think about it, you end up forgetting. You know what's you know coming out. Obviously, there'll be a bunch of more. You know, superhero movies. You know, as they always are, uh, and obviously, I feel like the quality is definitely dropping and varying. You know, these days. You know, after they're just constantly pumping them out, but I'm I'm hoping there will be some more. You know, these movies like there will be blood, where it is just a one off. It is just uh it is just masterful the experience is something else and it leaves you thinking about it I still think about there will be blood I think that that must be what like oh eight oh nine. I want to say when the movie came out so like 15 years later I'm still thinking about that movie and how amazing and masterful it is and I feel like every time I watch it I get something more out of it versus some other movie where you you watch it you find it enjoyable and fun but that's all it is. You're not getting more out of it. It's, a, it's mm. like a good book. Yeah, yeah,
1: agreed. So, it's like a good novel.
0: Yeah, so final question. Does money buy you happiness? And what does a good life mean to you?
1: I think about it a lot recently. What does rich life mean to me? And I've noticed that the things that make me happy are these like smaller, high-quality things like having a lot of time throughout my day to take a nap if i want to um being able to read a book having um i am living at a place that's close to this french butcher place and they have all sorts of like meats and cheeses imported from france and they're just like excellent quality so having access to good quality food like this is also making me really happy lately Uh, good coffee yeah things like like really 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 day-to-day things rather than the bigger things but money does help in getting access to them and having kind of the the freedom to be able to afford them so it's like a it's mixed I wouldn't say money buys you happiness but money money uh definitely helps in giving you things that make you happy 100%
0: 100% agree, you know, it depends on how you use that money. But yeah, it definitely helps a lot in easing, you know, life's burdens, which, you know, there can be, you know, very many. And combine that with a bit of stoicism, yeah, I think that can be a good recipe for life money, stoicism, and a bit of, you know, pur- you know, in- intent and purpose. I think that could be a, you know, I think that's a good set of ingredients for a good life so i want to thank you sandra for coming on to the podcast today it was really insightful i'm sure the listeners will enjoy this episode as well i'll get all those links that you said as well and i'll put them in the description so anyone can access the university and you know your podcast and and anything else that you feel like will be cool and interesting especially around the ai space you know to share feel free to you know send it over and i'll put that in there so sandra thank you for coming on today's episode
1: of course thanks for having me it was really fun
0: no problem and i want to thank everyone for tuning into this week's episode of fire dev and i'll see everyone in next next week's episode bye bye